Hello everybody, this is Steph Reed of AutismSpectrumTeacher.com. Welcome to the Autism Spectrum Teacher podcast. We've got a great episode for you today. I've got the wonderful Higher Ironside, who's an experienced special needs teacher, here to talk about early intervention. She is a former colleague of mine and I absolutely loved working with her. We know through research that the earlier interventions can be put in place to support a child and their family, the better the outcomes will be. And this is true for all areas of development, including those related to autism, such as language, communication, social interaction skills, and as well as improved family understanding and the support systems around them that are in place. During this episode, me and Haya are going to talk all about some important factors to consider in early intervention. But just before we get into the conversation with Haya, I just wanted to mention that there has been a bit of a break with the podcast. I haven't released an episode since April 2019. And the reason being, I was doing lots of different projects, including supporting a number of schools in London through outreach and training. I was also a Senko up until July 2019. I'm now dedicating all my time to Autism Spectrum Teacher to provide schools and services with bespoke support to develop autism practice and ensure children with additional needs are making good progress and also to expand my online outreach to share helpful information through this podcast, my website, autismspectrumteacher.com and social media channels. I also spent quite a bit of the summer in Muscat, Oman, supporting in developing an autism education programme with an education service out there. And what an absolute privilege it was to support many local families whose children were mostly not accessing school. This would actually be really good to discuss in another episode, so I'll leave this for now. This episode is really exciting. I hope you enjoy it. Here is a conversation with experienced teacher Haya Ironside about early intervention. And here's your host, my favourite teacher, Steph Reed. Hiya, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hi Steph, thank you so much for inviting me. It's really good to be here. I've listened to all of your episodes, they're very inspiring and yeah, can't wait to have our conversation. Oh brilliant, thank you. I'm really looking forward to this. I know our conversations are always very passionate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, generally speaking. So Haya, tell us about your experience in teaching autistic children. Okay, well I've had over 10 years experience working with children in general and nearly five years specifically with autistic children Um, and I've just become increasingly interested in the early years and early intervention. I trained as an early bird plus trainer for the National Autistic Society which was a really interesting way to actually speak with parents about their children and see it sort of outside of an educational setting but I was also teaching reception in a special school for children with a diagnosis of autism in London and yeah I just wanted to thank those children and their families in particular and, and the other professionals 
because I'm sure that in this conversation today we will use maybe some examples from that experience. Yeah, and definitely our biggest teachers are the children. For sure, endlessly. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, yeah, we're going to be talking about early intervention today. Yes. So my feeling really is that early intervention is, is a buzzword and essentially linked to the fact that we can now diagnose children a lot earlier. So we're sort of saying, well, if we can do that and we have them when their brains are potentially a bit more malleable, then this is a great time to intervene and support not only the children, but also their families. So I define early intervention as basically just trying to do something. Um, And that's like basically as early as possible in order to support the child's development. And there are so many, I mean, I'm sure you know, kind of in your experience, there are so many different programs that it's quite a rabbit hole in terms of like the different things that people are going to tell you like, oh, this works really well for my child. This doesn't work really well. I think in my experience, the outcome of any intervention really depends on the context of the child and also the particular therapy that you're using. Yeah. And I guess every child is an individual, has very personalized needs. And like you're saying, one type of intervention or approach would be suitable to meet the needs of one child and support their development. And for another child, it might not have much impact at all. There's also, like you're saying, so many different approaches and interventions. I know definitely in my experience and and perhaps in yours, using a combination of interventions work well to support different areas of development and learning. But again, it's some will have more of an impact than others, depending on the child's needs. Totally. And I think there's also a degree of trial and error of flexibility, which is really necessary on the part of the team around that child. So you might try something and you you need to give it a certain amount of time, but you need to have evaluation procedures in place so that you can say, well, look, you know, this really isn't working. Or maybe the child's actually just totally hating this and then that you're able to be flexible and you're able to kind of change that. And it really just depends on, on the child and finding something that works for them. You just made a really important point about evaluation and and monitoring and what is the impact on those particular interventions for that child. Is this working? How is it working? And therefore, should we continue this? Totally. Um, And that was another thing that I kind of wanted to touch on in our conversation today. Aside from whether the intervention is necessarily working or not working for the child, I think that there are lots of other things that we need to take into account which is what are we intervening for like for some people they would say that actually we should be embracing neurodiversity and it's not necessarily the child who really has to change in order to just conform to our society but maybe we need to actually be adapting so that the child is able to blossom as a young autistic person um i know i was going to send you a link the guardian did this short film about this young girl and i think the best moment in this film for me was when she she actually says at one point that she's afraid, she has nightmares, that she's going to wake up the next morning and she's not going to be autistic. She's so kind of there with her identity and definitely the work that her parents and other people in her life have done to kind of help her with that has been invaluable. But I think it's really, yeah, when you're considering any intervention, like a huge question is, well, what are we intervening with and why? But with that said, I don't want to say like don't intervene because 
you do find something that works for the child and works for the family or works for the people who are involved, then you are going to potentially have really successful outcomes. And I wanted to share examples of, of what a successful outcome could look like. So you've got child A who's four years old, they've got relatively mild autistic features, um, so they're going to a mainstream school, they're receiving intervention in the form of speech and language therapy, and the sessions are like designed around their interests and they're really motivating, and their guardian who they live with at home is also like using some of the strategies. And so over time, we actually see that child A's linguistic and communication difficulties decrease. So that's like a fantastic example of early intervention, which has been done really effectively for that child. And they've also got kind of the support around them. So the context, which is that their guardian is supporting them, the school is supporting them, and therefore they're able to be successful. So I think it's really important in this conversation to stress basically the importance of not only getting the early intervention right in whatever form that may be, but also making sure that the other things that are around the child are also as secure and as positive as possible. So home, home and school working together. Like that, I mean, as someone who's worked in the early years and like anyone who knows me in that role will know that that was kind of my biggest thing, building that link between the home and school and just making sure that all information is being shared because that's really how I felt we could do the best that we could do for that child. For example, if there is something that's working really well at school that's helping a child perhaps who has difficulties transitioning if that's helping them at school then that could help them at home and I had a really great in-depth conversation with a parent recently about food and the progress in eating and trying some different foods at home and without knowing this important information for school we could be going at such a slower pace working together you're keeping that momentum and you're ensuring that child is getting the most effective and consistent support at home and at school. Totally. And I think it also just, it just means that, again, it's back to what you said about multiple approaches, because, again, like people are going to do things differently. And, you know, if we focus on, say, some examples of specific interventions, like let's take two, ABA, Applied Behaviour Analysis, or CERTS, which is Social Communication, Emotional Regulation and Transactional Support, like both of these are quite daunting in the extent of paperwork and review and expectations on the part of the people supporting that child. And that might simply just be too much, but they they both, I would argue, have elements that can be really, really useful for the child for the professionals, for the family. So it's about kind of taking what works, sharing that information and, and yeah, focusing on going back to the point that we again said before about just making sure that whatever you are intervening with, so whatever you are supporting the child to change or to adapt is, is actually appropriate and functional for that child. I think on a slightly like darker note, potentially, I was thinking about early intervention and specifically in the UK. I always worry that parents will access this amazing resource that we have available to us, which is the internet, and you'll get all of this information. Again, as I was saying, it's a rabbit hole and you have some people telling you this and other people telling you that, but you'll also have 
just so much information and maybe you're informed to the point where you decide that this intervention or this program is exactly what you need for your child but we need to be aware of the resources that we have available to us and it's regional in the UK so you might be in one place and you would have certain programs available to you and then you would be in a different place and that wouldn't be available and these things can also be really really super expensive and and time consuming and put a huge amount of strain or potentially even distress on like the family environment so I think again it goes back to what I was saying about like these programs are great and they are evidence-based but it's taking what you can and what works from those programs and applying it to your own environment your own context and I'm I'm maybe talking your own more in sense of like the parent or the guardian at that point but another link that I really would love if you could include after this conversation is the NICE guidelines which cover diagnosis of autism for under uh, under 19s there's also an adult version and they're they're written by experts and I feel that not many people know about them, but they're a really fantastic guide about where you should be looking at each stage. So pre-diagnosis, if you have any concerns, they'll highlight some things that could direct you to go and seek advice from maybe a pediatrician or a doctor. And then they'll kind of follow you you through the stages of that process, even into intervention post-diagnosis. So I really recommend just anyone interested in kind of autism in the UK at the moment to check those out. Thank you. I completely agree. And I'll put a link in the show notes. Okay, let's talk about an example of an area of intervention that poses a question of whether there should actually be any intervention or not. So we've got a child who is four years old. They've recently been diagnosed with autism. Their parents are still coming to terms with the diagnosis and the implications on their life that they had maybe imagined for this child, but also their own lives as a family. Something that they are particularly finding difficult at the moment is that this child really likes to wave their arms in the air. Is a very like typical example of a stimming behavior so they're kind of saying okay she's autistic but we just can't handle the fact that she's doing this and we want her to like stop doing this so then should there be an early intervention around that or any intervention for that matter how do you deal with that teachers and teaching assistants Do you want to feel really prepared and equipped to meet the diverse needs in your class? Do you want to effectively manage, de-escalate and minimise behaviour that's challenging? Do you want to confidently and effectively lead your team in the classroom to maximise impact? Or do you want to stop spending lots of time looking for resources and strategies? Then I'm here to help. Autism for Teachers is an accessible anytime online training course designed to help teachers and teaching assistants meet the holistic needs of autistic children and young people. After consulting in lots of different schools as an autism specialist teacher and advising hundreds of teachers and school leaders on high quality autism provision and practice, I've put together Autism for Teachers to give you an easy and accessible way of gaining the practical strategies and resources that are going to help you effectively support autistic children's learning. 
expand your knowledge of autism, developing communication, supporting sensory processing, emotional regulation, behavior, and social interaction with a comprehensive resource base of bite-sized videos featuring lots of practical ways that you can help and support children's learning, progress, and well-being. Perfect for busy teachers. You can gain a toolbox of evidence-based strategies and skills, as well as downloadable resources such as visual support, like timetables or editable documents like behaviour support plans or classroom organisation. We also have packages for schools. Come and join now at autismspectrumteacher.com to get started straight away. Yes, and this leads on to a much bigger theme about acceptance and understanding and is there actually any issues here? Are there issues more to do with external factors and other people's opinions and views about how people should be behaving? I would like to explore with the parents, what do they feel the issues are here? Is it actually helping the child? How is the child feeling? Are they expressing themselves? What is the function of the behaviour? And looking at this with the parents or carers to understand about why the child is doing, why they are waving their arms. Is it because they're happy? Are they excited? Are they angry? Are they regulating themselves? You know, if we were to try and stop the child from doing this, then there could be other consequences because this behaviour will be having a function for that child. But that's so interesting because then it's almost like you've almost described actual functional analysis, which we wouldn't necessarily say was early intervention as such, in that it doesn't directly target the child or any aspect of their behaviour. But functional analysis, where you try and understand the function of behaviour, is kind of going back to our early, earlier conversation more of a support for like the professionals or the family. And it's, it's almost like you're kind of still intervening in a way by showing them this is why she's doing this. This is the reason. And so that's, again, like kind of another way of looking at early intervention is it doesn't necessarily have to be targeted at the child. I think that's kind of capturing something that's really important. Yeah, early intervention specifically, as with any intervention, can also be targeted at the people around the child, maybe. Yes, definitely. And research shows us that supporting parents and families with understanding needs and supporting areas such as communication and play leads to better outcomes for children and also the same with supporting teachers and educational settings. I actually completed a research project a couple of years ago which highlighted that when the knowledge of school staff was improved this led to increased confidence of teachers and most importantly better outcomes for children. And especially when we are perhaps working with a child that isn't able to effectively express their needs and their wants and how they're feeling. We are the people, the family, the professionals, we are the people that are trying to understand what is happening in that child's world. How is that child feeling? And that is really important, especially when you think about our responses to the child and how that's going to have an impact on them. 100%. But then I think another aspect of this, which is interesting, specifically in terms of early intervention, as you say, generally, we might be working with children who are pre-verbal or at least have substantial communication 
difficulties. So we have like the Mental Capacity Act, which was introduced to protect adults who you might not necessarily know if they had the capacity to make a decision about something like, say, an intervention or, or other questions such as where they would live, etc. So the Mental Capacity Act was introduced to, to protect these people. And I think the key principles are basically that anything has to be done in the interest of that person. Also, that all efforts have to be made to actually support that person to decide. And this really interests me, especially in, in the context of early intervention. Another key principle is that even if you think that their decision is unwise, that doesn't give you the right to make the decision on their behalf. And like, how often do we kind of think that we're just wiser than, say, children, and therefore we sort of decide that they shouldn't be playing with that because that's inappropriate, but actually they maybe experience express an interest in that I mean I'm not saying something I'm not saying put them in danger but like if a child has a really strong interest in one particular toy and you think it's unwise that they have that toy with them too much because they might become overly dependent on it then I feel like you're you're going against that principle which is basically that that this child is is selecting something and and it's working for them and we kind of really have to be empowering children as with as with anyone to to make decisions and yeah the mental capacity act obviously doesn't apply and I'm not saying either that it necessarily should because there's a degree of care and responsibility that is needed if you're discussing a child but I think the principles are really interesting to take into account again going back to this conversation what are we trying to make happen for this young person what are we trying to change what are we trying to develop Yes, most importantly, everything must be done in the best interests of the child. And therefore, the whole context needs to be considered. Maybe with that example of the toy, it may be that parents and professionals agree on a strategy to support the child to perhaps develop other interests or take part in some activities without that favourite toy. But again, everything must be in the best interests of the child. And this is where it's also very important that there is a multidisciplinary approach. You've got the input of a range of professionals that are specialists in, in those different areas, speech and language therapists, occupational therapists, perhaps physiotherapists, specialist teachers. And you've got the input of different people and, and most importantly, the family. I think the challenges of actually getting family input are often overlooked. You know, there's a big area of research on specifically parental, but also family involvement. And the fact that this can be really challenging for many reasons, maybe like the parents, should we say, own experience with school might mean that they're kind of reluctant to come to these meetings and engage. There's also like a little bit of a professional parent hierarchy, which definitely exists and needs to be taken into account that the parent might come into this room full of who they perceive are experts in their different fields. And they will just feel like they can't express what they know about their child. And I guess that's where it's our job to make sure that, you know, we're providing that kind of environment and atmosphere where the parents are feeling like they have their say and their say is valued whether that's going to be how often we're inviting parents into our setting the type of meetings that we're having again going back to the various forms of early intervention think even things like finding care so respite care basically for a child's 
is also almost a form of intervention in that you're giving the parent or the carer that time to go and just chill out because there's a lot of relationship between the parent's quality of life and that of their child and I think we have to really take that into account the the parent needs to be getting their respite they need to be calm and able to manage the situation and what what can we introduce to support that to happen as well so I would always always at any of these meetings you're talking to the parent you're deciding what you're going to do to support their child but there's a second part of that conversation could even be the first part in some instances another part should we say of that conversation is is what are they doing for themselves because they're such an important integral part of this that we need to be making sure that they're as supported as the child and I think coming to the end of this but I think a really important message is that there is no right intervention it always concerns me as if I if I hear someone who says, you know, this is what has to happen to my child as soon as possible because X, Y and Z. And I kind of think, yeah, that might have really worked very well for another child from another context. But that doesn't mean it, it's going to work perfectly for your child. And there are two things to caution with that as well is that A, it might it might simply not be available to you. And that could be because you don't do it in the UK or it's really really expensive and you know you've kind of got to take all of these factors into account and really just work out what's achievable and what's available are you a parent or carer looking for ways to help your child's development are you looking to upskill your own knowledge to help you better advocate for your child There is a lot of information out there and I certainly know it can feel very overwhelming trying to navigate it all to find ways that are really going to help your child and their progress. Autism for Parents is an accessible anytime online course full of bite-sized videos and downloadable resources, giving you lots of practical ways and tips that you can help your child in the areas of developing communication, sensory needs, behavior, emotional regulation, transitions and social interaction. I'm also offering further personalized support with myself, Steph Reed, an autism specialist teacher and consultant to help you identify tailored ways to help your child. Come and join now at autismspectrumteacher.com. So let's take certs, which is something that I have used and have a huge amount of respect for, which is a, a program that's multidisciplinary. So it takes aspects of different programs developed by speech and language therapists and essentially aims to support children with their social communication and their emotional regulation, but also those around them to be aware of and evaluating what you are transactional supports for how we're actually helping children to access their environment or how we're changing the environment to support them. And what I continually felt was fantastic about certs was it starts with the child and it it stays with the child so you're not looking to really change the child in any particular way you're just getting some ideas maybe from it about things that could help the child with their communication and their emotional regulation but fundamentally there's there's nothing that we're trying to eradicate from the child with that approach so 
if we're seeing that waving their hands in the air is helping them to feel more emotionally regulated, then that's great. And that will be recognized and supported and added to their communication passport, you know. And so I think what CERTS has done is it's managed to, in a way, combine lots of different programs quite effectively. And helped support the understanding of professionals. The approach was developed by looking at typical development especially in the areas of um, attention and joint attention. I know for me, what CERTS did is really highlight and increase my understanding in terms of the development of attention and the development of emotions and emotional regulation and the impact that that therefore has on the way I'm able to support children and recognise at what stage of development they're at with their attention and social communication and and emotional regulation just kind of back to the functional analysis thing isn't it so you're you're almost it's it's to support you to support the child which is what's so useful about that yes definitely okay I'll wrap up here by summarizing some of our key points and that is that a combined approach can have lots of benefits a very personalised, tailored approach depending on the child's needs. The team around the child is really, really important and their access to evidence-based practice, strategies, interventions, which of course need to be monitored and evaluated to ensure that they're having an impact. And we really need to highlight what are we intervening for and why. And we mentioned about the importance of home and school partnerships, working together, making sure all information is being shared, the importance of a multidisciplinary approach, and of course, always acting in the best interests of the child, which of course should be obvious, but is important to highlight. Definitely. And I think another just really important thing is about being aware that it's kind of not going to be like this forever. Say you are a a parent or you are a carer of a young child and you're really struggling with aspects of their behavior then you're totally not alone because there's a lot of parents out there regardless of whether or not their child has a diagnosis of autism who are also really struggling with aspects of their child's behavior and I think it's important to recognize that it is a challenging time for many people with having a child but that the child is going to grow and they are going to change and we can't necessarily predict in what ways especially if they are autistic but that that things will change and and that seeking that support I think is just so important for the adult but also for the child. Yes seeking support is so important and of course as practitioners we've also got to support those families who may not be seeking support for whatever reason, for whichever stage they're at in their own journey with their child's needs and for us to support that. Also to make sure that um, we as professionals highlight the services that are accessible in our area or if you're a parent, knowing what services are available in your area. There's lots of support groups online. In fact, by the time this episode comes out, I will have started the Facebook group for parents, teachers, teaching assistants, speech and language therapists, anybody that's involved and wanting to get the support around 
autism um, and different learning needs, inclusion. The aim of the group is learning together, sharing ideas, problem solving, asking questions. But yes, there's lots of different support groups online and there might possibly be some in your local area. Make sure you're aware of, of what is taking place out there and what support is available. You know, without getting too cheesy, if it comes to support groups and stuff, then be that change. If you can't find anything in your immediate area, then then set something up yourself if you can handle it. And it doesn't have to be much more than like a coffee once a week or once a month, if that's better or whatever works for you. I think sharing, sharing ideas, sharing experiences, just having someone who gets a bit where you're coming from and what you're going through is, is so important. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Haya. My pleasure. Thank you. And yeah. It's been absolutely brilliant to speak to you as always. <laughs> you too. Keep keep talking. I think these podcasts are fantastic and really useful for many people. Yes. Thank you very much for your time. That was Haya Ironside. Thank you so much, Haya. It's always such a pleasure to speak to you. All of the links that we mentioned in this episode will be in the show notes on my website autismspectrumteacher.com so just go to the podcast page and you can find the episode you can find me on social media on facebook instagram twitter linkedin and youtube with the username steph reed autism so let's connect if you haven't already subscribed to this podcast then you can do so in the podcast player of your choice whether that's android google apple Podcasts, spotify And I'd love to hear what you think about the podcast. Any reviews is really helpful for me because I get to see what you may like about the podcast, but also it helps other people to find the podcast. Also, I mentioned the Facebook group in the episode, so you can find it on Facebook. It's called Autism and Inclusive Teaching Ideas. So come and join the group and I will speak to you in two weeks. Goodbye.